Hello, and welcome to today's episode of In Fellowship, the podcast where we explore community building through a chapter-by-chapter read of Lord of the Rings. My name is Anna. And my name is Ellen. And in today's episode, we are discussing Book 1, Chapter 3, Three is Company, exploring how community is built through shared language. Anna, normally at this point, I would ask you how you're doing, but we have a special guest waiting in the wings, and I'm very excited to get to that portion of the podcast. Is it okay if we skip our our pleasantries? I feel strongly that's the best move, so let's do that. Okay. And, you know, fittingly, it is our third episode, and the chapter title is Three is Company. Are you sensing a theme? I am. Today we have our first special guest, so there are three of us. Do you want to do a drum roll? Is that too much? That was excellent. Thank you. Um, (laughs) I'd like to introduce Felix, who is joining us to tell us a story. Felix, how are you doing today? I'm great. I'm great. Thank you for having me. This is so exciting. Thank you for joining us. I knew that I wanted to invite you to be on this podcast when we were having a discussion about what fictional character that you would be if you could be anybody. Do you remember who you picked? Uh, Did I say Sam? Yes, and you didn't just say Sam, you said Samwise Gamgee. Yeah, uh, way to make an impression with my new colleagues. So cool. It was cool, and it it indicated to me that I can, you know, be sharing my love of Lord of the Rings with you as well. I want to ask, so what is your relationship with Lord of the Rings? I discovered it through the movies initially. Um, the movies came out while I was a young teenager, and they really appealed to me. I quickly became obsessed with them, watched them again, again, and again, and then one day decided that I was ready to take on the books. I knew that they were really big and discovered that my dad already had a copy of them. So I quickly quickly read them for the first time and uh, kind of never stopped reading more and more about the universe and um, doing a lot of geeking around the universe that's built by the author. That's classic. Anna and I know a thing or two about dads who love Lord of the Rings. Yeah, that's basically the origin story for this podcast. It's made quite the indelible mark on our family. (laughs) It's not an obsession, but there is like a deep abiding love for this story. Well, I will say that there are varying degrees of our intense love for this story and that not a week ago, I think you had asked me a question where you were like, do you remember and then listed a very specific instance in a chapter that I have no recollection of? And I was like, oh, um, no, can I still be a podcast host if I didn't know the answer to that question? So uh, it comes and it goes. Yes. Um, in case we haven't made that clear already, we are not Tolkien uh, scholars, and we are in it for the love of the story. Well, and I think that's a good maybe jumping off point then for Felix's story, because this is both a Lord of the Rings uh, sort of fan podcast, but also a conversation about community. So um, let's take a, a minute to ask Felix, what story do you have for us today about our theme, shared language? Thank you, Anna. 
Um, so in, in case you haven't noticed, uh, I have a little bit of an accent and it's because English is not my first language. I'm originally from France and kind of discovered English in school, but I was pretty bad at it, um, but was forced into it when my family moved from France to Australia. I was at the time uh, 14 and uh, was absolutely uprooted and taken into a space that I knew nothing about away from the friends that I was starting to make at that age and uh, the place that I had lived in my entire life until then. So I moved to Australia with my family and was having a hard time, started learning English in school and paying a little bit more attention because it became a little bit more crucial. And while trying to get integrated, my parents thought it'd be great for me to keep on playing sports. I always love sports and uh, that is kind of a common language that everybody can understand and everybody can relate to that level of passion. Uh, and so I found my way uh, with my broken English onto uh, a local website, found a local team and rolled up to the field one day and immediately found myself absolutely confused. Uh, I was at a level of English where I was barely able to ask people where I wanted to go or how they were doing. Uh, so I found myself in this really great group of people that knew each other for a very long time and were speaking a language that I knew nothing about. Because of the sport and because of the demand that it required, playing games, being in a competition, um, I was thrust into this community and had to make do. And that's where some of the magic happened. I found myself, by the passion that I had for this sport, continuing to go, even though it was really difficult for me to interact with all the people that I needed to perform. Rugby is a team sport that is, contrary to some of the American sports, every player has a specific role that is very difficult to uh, take out. And I found myself building a relationship with these people that I could barely talk about through uh, this common experience, through this love that we had. And quickly but surely, language caught up. I was able to speak a little bit more first, make them understand what I wanted to do, and then eventually build real relationship with them and even stronger relationship afterwards. Uh, some of them are still my friends today, but it was kind of what got me a leg up as I was discovering a new country and adapting to a new family life. It was a very exciting experience. It felt crazy during it and now I looked back to it very fondly because I was so lost and I kind of stumbled upon this one thing that helped me connect with this group of people that I knew no nothing about and um, that I had very little in common with. And that was a great experience and it opened the door to the rest of my life, which is that, you know, now I live in an English speaking country, I'm speaking to you in English and uh, I'm pretty sure some of my family would argue I speak better English than French. So that's my story uh, for you today and kind of my journey around the theme of today's episode. Thank you for that story, Felix. Anna, do you have any questions off the bat? that you want to ask Felix? I do. So I want to come back to that idea of your, you've moved to Australia, you're looking for ways to build community and get involved. And so did you say that you found a local sports team simply by an internet search? Like, were you looking specifically for 
rugby or just sort of the first team that emerged? Can you say more about that? Sure. I had played rugby my entire life, um, so I knew I wanted to continue doing that. Australia is very famous for rugby there, so I thought it's going. It has to be pretty easy. So I typed rugby and the name of the neighborhood that I lived in, and kind of three results popped up. Obviously, none of those websites look kind of legit. So I showed up to a park one day, and. I wasn't completely certain that anyone was actually going to be there. Um, I had read on the website training at this place at this time twice a week, um, and and that's kind of how I stumbled upon that team. And uh, yeah, the rest is history. Wait, so it wasn't like even through your school of oh, these are other kids my age playing rugby? No, um, I rolled up, and my father was with me spoke worse English than me and we saw people playing rugby on the field so it felt immediately okay at least we found a place uh, and I remember my dad saying look at the guys over there they're probably like two or three years older than you and we we go and talk to a, a person who was just wearing sweatpants and was a little bit older than everybody assuming that he was going to be the coach um, and I said hey I'm coming to play at and he was like oh then Go say hi to your teammates. And they were the people that my dad had just pointed at. And yeah, um, signed a couple of paperwork and I was part of this uh, local team. Wow. I think I would not have the guts to just go someplace. One, where I don't speak the language. And then two, where I'm not entirely sure I will be welcome at the end to put myself out there. And play rugby. I would never do. I would never play rugby, anyways. But that's you know that's not the point of the, the story. I could see it though. Could could you? I just want to underline that we're playing this very casually, and like these are like the most intense experiences I feel like a person could have to be like one rugby, already pretty intense, already pretty physical. Like to to have that be sort of your form of connection is pretty amazing as a start but then to do it in a place where you don't know anybody where you like you said you just roll up to this field and you're trying to use some of the visual cues to understand the situation I think that's pretty amazing and then for the experience to be that you really were able to build connection and continue to have these you know lasting friendships and you did that all and developed really your English speaking skills through that experience is absolutely amazing. I am just blown away by that. And uh, I just I really wanted to highlight some of those key points because I don't feel like we I don't feel like we stressed them. We enough glossed to be like, over those a little bit. We glossed over the fact that it was like, I'm just going to go to this field, play some rugby with people. And like, that's going to be kind of my uh, language development experiences that's yeah that's pretty amazing so i have no other questions i just wanted to really stress those pieces thank you um so felix i didn't tell you to read the chapter because you did not have to do that before this but we're currently reading chapter three uh the first book and this is where frodo has now left the shire and they run into some elves and they have this really nice moment where the elves are excited that frodo speaks their language and can greet them in their native language 
Can you speak to that a little bit about what that's like when that's happened to you in moments in your life? Maybe you find an unexpected French speaker somewhere. Yeah, it's really funny because uh, I, I was re I was I wasn't reading the chapter, but I, I was curious to see which one it was exactly. And I remember kind of this chapter already resonating with me uh, because the when you travel the world and and uh, go to places uh, and you're originally from France, there are places with people speaking French all over the world uh, because of France's colonial past. Um, but the weirdest occurrence of that was when I traveled to Cambodia and got to the airport and the person behind the counter greeted me first in, in Khmer and then in French. And I was so taken aback by that, that I spoke English because I, it seemed so unnatural to me that someone was going to speak to me in French in this moment. That's funny. You like surprise spoke English. Yes. That's the first thing that came to my mind in reaction to French and and then continued in French afterwards. But it was, it was just so unexpected. And then I discovered that I was just pretty ignorant about the country and that, of course, uh, a lot of people could have sp- spoken French there. And people still do because of the, the history of the region. So it was, it was a pretty, uh, pretty similar experience to uh, what is described in the book where... Um, I immediately felt felt more comfortable uh, speaking my native language. That's great. I just wanted to ask, I guess, the there is sort of the utilitarian facet of speaking a shared language, you know, as you mentioned in your story, and just now there is just an ability to understand the person that you're meeting as well as be able to accomplish something, right? Like, I know where I'm going, I can get directions, I can ask questions. But I'm kind of wondering about that emotional response to hearing something familiar or feeling like you have maybe a a kinship with this person who previously was very much a stranger. Um, And I'm wondering, Felix, if you can if you can speak to that a little bit. Yeah, um, it's really interesting that uh, language can change drastically how you feel from one moment to the other. In, the, in that specific instance, you know, uh, finding someone who speaks your native language or, or can understand you uh, in, in a place where that's not the dominant way of communicating, there's like a feeling of uh, reassurance and an immediately closer bond to that person. Uh, it, makes, it makes you feel closer from the other and creates a distinction between them and all everybody else who's around. There's a very, it's something very intimate about language, and that can be pretty powerful and 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 kind of a unique way of connecting very rapidly with someone. Uh, however short that connection might be, right? It doesn't have to be a long conversation, but like sometimes having someone just guess that I'm French because of my accent and then switch immediately to that language makes everything more uh, colloquial or more casual um, and and also brings me back in a way. Um, you know, we haven't talked about accents at all, but like accents can take you back to very specific places, Um I, I lived in Canada for a while. They speak French, have a very distinctive accent. And, and hearing that variant brings me different emotions and, and make me journey a little bit through time uh, as well. 
Thanks, Felix, so much for coming on and, and sharing your story. We'll hear from you again at the end of the episode to share your takeaway assignment. Okay, so Ellen, as we ponder uh, Felix's excellent storytelling, um, maybe you could lead us into what happens in this chapter. Yes, happily. So last episode, you pointed out that Gandalf was really brusque with Frodo. (laughs) (laughs) And I noticed that again in this chapter that it starts... Um, with him being pretty brusque with Frodo as they're making plans for Frodo to leave in the autumn. Because Frodo's like, I'm not ready to leave. And Gandalf said, I said soon, not immediately. Um, so he really dresses him down. Um, Frodo sells most of his possessions to the Sackville Bagginses, but not the wine. He kept that for himself and his friends, and they drank it and had a good time. So Good on you, Frodo. Yeah, good on you, Frodo, for keeping what's yours. So then they set off for Crick Hollow, and Gandalf is not there, um, and Frodo leaves with Sam and Pippin. They're spotted by an extremely intelligent fox, which really stuck out to me this time around. Small detail, but he, the fox thinks to himself, like, ah, so strange that there are hobbits about. Uh, They're walking, and a black rider goes past them. Um, They hide from the Black Rider, but the Black Rider sniffs around and tries to find them, but then is scared off because they encounter high elves Mm -hmm. who scare away uh, another snuffling rider. So this chapter is basically them leaving the Shire, and we start to get a glimpse of what is pursuing. Yeah, I thought that was notable. We're already, you know, we're in chapter three, and we're already in a place where there is active pursuit and very real present, perceived at least, danger as they're on the road. So it's it's quickly approaching as we, you know, as we leave the Shire and as we encounter this bold new world, so too the world comes to them. There's this, I don't know the exact quote, but it's by Stephen King about when when you show someone the monster that then it loses its power. And what I really liked in this chapter is that you don't know what the Black Riders are, how many there are. They're sort of amorphous um, because we don't yet know what it is. And I think that adds to the fear of the pursuit is that we don't know what the monster is that's chasing us. Right, because where else in our lives has sniffing felt so insidious? But this chapter was just like it's sniffing what is that you know it's not it's not um something that you can assign to a a creature like a dog where you can kind of maybe put that into a schema for reference but instead it's just like this mysterious sniffing and it really adds to this aura of pursuit and and danger and you're like all right i don't think i like this sniffing thing never have i before felt felt danger in this way well, so that those are, you know, the high points and I guess the low points of the chapter. Mm-hmm. Where did you see examples of today's theme in this chapter? Well, I think it's really interesting that you already said that you were, um, you noted that Gandalf says soon while he's being quite brusque with Frodo, um, because I thought that was sort of the first, that was the first instance of language 
not being shared between these two communicators, right? So Gandalf is communicating that there is an impetus to go, but he is saying soon, not meaning instantly, and Frodo is taking it to mean, I'm sure as he's receiving all this information, I have to make this choice. And so I was thinking about the ways in which Gandalf maybe is prepared for this kind of decision, is frustrated that Frodo is taking so long to get to this point, but probably from Frodo's perspective, he's feeling very rushed and having to abruptly change his scenery that he's going to have to depart from things that are familiar to him and so even if it isn't instantaneously it feels sooner than what um, Gandalf might be communicating so I thought that was uh, the first sort of notable instance of language and and it not being shared Right. So like where they are emotionally is different from each other. Mm -hmm. And then that creates the, the barrier in their shared language. Right. Right. I also saw an example when they are talking or um, perhaps more specifically humming their walking song as they walk to Buckland. And this is sort of a comforting song. And the quote from the book is, they begin to hum softly as hobbits have a way of doing as they walk along, especially when they are drawing near to home at night. So it, it, it sounds like it's kind of a comforting thing that it perhaps is rhythmic in the way that it's sung so that you can stay in step with your fellow travelers. And that um, that is both a shared language in the words that you're saying, but likely also in the melody used to convey that song. I love that. I kind of skipped over that section. I don't normally skip over the songs. I do when they get kind of long, but thank you for drawing my attention to that because I like the idea of that being a cultural moment of we are moving together and so we will do it in sync and we will do it with this shared song and our little walking song. That's cute. Mm-hmm. Which I think I think draws kind of an interesting comparison or maybe contrast to encountering the high elves who are kind of making like uh, another song, right? But it's a little so it's singing and and Frodo recognizes this. And it sounds like one clear voice rose above the others. It was singing in the fair elven tongue of which Frodo knew only little and the others knew nothing. Yet the sound blending with the melody seemed to shape itself in their thought into words which they only partly understood. So I thought that was kind of an interesting contrast to maybe um, from the elven point of view, this sort of lowly trudging, you know, hobbit song that they, they sing as they walk along. Um, especially as they head towards home, where there is then this sort of elevated high elven song that is not something that someone just encounters and understands in the actual language that it's speaking, but the melody and the emotion of the singers is enough to convey a shared language to those who don't speak high elvish, which I think is a, a really interesting concept and maybe something that we experience in music broadly, where you don't have to know exactly what's being said to understand what it's trying to communicate. Yes, I definitely agree that the the melody can communicate where where you don't have that shared language. Mm -hmm. um, I don't want to take us too far off track here because I like what we're talking about. But you also called them high elves and the book calls them high elves. And are there low elves? Like, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just confused by this qualifier because it seems 
unnecessary and I'm not quite sure what it's trying to tell me. Right. I understood it more like these are royal adjacent. So Mm. if we think about like someone being in the court of an elven king, perhaps, so that there is kind of this elevated status of the elf. I guess I didn't understand there to be, nor do I remember there being references to low elves, but that there are elves and then there are high elves. Like there is an uber and then there is like uber platinum or, you know, whatever. Like there is this like elevated version of the the, the regular. So that this is, this is the, a title and not a species. That was my understanding and that it seems not unlike the distinguishes we see in dialect between like um people who maybe come from a moneyed class and people who come not from a moneyed class so if there's a difference in language it may not be an entirely new language but that it is enough of a dialect shift where the everyday um elf citizen perhaps doesn't use that it's maybe a bit more formal that's how i was thinking about it interesting Okay, thank you for detouring with me on that route because it needed to be addressed. I was very confused. These are high elves. Right, sure. What does that what does that mean? And I think in that way it seems even less probable that Frodo would know their language. So I felt like that was that much more notable than when Frodo encounters them and speaks their language and they're so surprised by it. Mm. Like, does that speak to the adventures that Bilbo previously had where he was only encountering those who were in a status of power and that Frodo then learned by sort of transit what Bilbo had um or how how did that come to be that seems even that much more improbable when they sort of say that in the book did you have that as one of your examples with Frodo knowing some words in this high elvish I did and then the response which you know I don't know anything about high elves so I can't speak on their behalf But they seemed just a skosh condescending because Gildor, who seems to be their anointed spokesperson, says, Be careful, friends, cried Gildor laughing. Speak no secrets. Here is a scholar in the ancient tongue. Bilbo was a good master. Hail, elf friend. And then the relationship that Frodo and Gildor strike seems very interesting to me. It it feels a bit pedantic from Gildor's standpoint. So it was just kind of an interesting uh, reaction from the High Elves to be like, ha ha ha, we're so special and important. How could you possibly know, you lowly little Frodo, about this? Um, so I'm not sure, I'm not sure what to make of that. I did not read it that way exactly. But now that I go back and he says, here is a scholar of the ancient tongue, Uh, Obviously, Frodo isn't, and so that line does kind of point to a little bit of condescension there. Like, look who knows so much. (laughs) Uh, Where it's like, okay, I've got like 10 words and can ask you what your favorite color is and where the bathroom is. So calm down there, buddy. In high elvish. Yes. (laughs) Where do you keep your restroom in high elvish (laughs) is all that I know, sir. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, or it feels um, it feels more like an adult interacting with a child where Gildor is 
amused in a way that feels like he's undermining the knowledge that Frodo holds. And I don't think he means it to be a negative interaction. I think truly he could be surprised by this. But it also felt just a little interesting to watch that tension, especially as we near the end of the chapter where Gildor is becoming increasingly more vague in like both wanting to give instruction to Frodo, but also not wanting to say too much. And it's like, well, you kind of need to either decide you're going to, you're going to advise me on how to move forward. And then you're going to tell me the whole truth. Or you just kind of need to say, you know, I'm not comfortable speaking on this. And that's all I'm going to say about the matter, as opposed to this weird hemming and hawing and should I tell you and and but also you don't know enough to like move forward and I'm worried at the you know like it just seems so it seems like Gildor is being oddly obtuse about this and and I'm not sure if that sort of lends itself to how I was understanding his first interaction with Frodo. He does do that uh, in page 93 on my book where he asks Frodo, quote, has Gandalf told you nothing in reference to the Black Riders? And then when Frodo confirms that he doesn't know what they are, he says, quote, then I think it is not for me to say more lest terror should keep you from your journey. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, that's worse than nothing. You know, like <laughs> that is an unhelpful little tidbit to give to somebody who is about to go on a trip that they are unable to back down from. And they're like, and by the way, something absolutely horrible is chasing you, but I won't tell you. <laughs> it feels unhelpful. Right, because then later, Gilder goes on to say, quote, I think you should still follow that plan, you know, continuing the plan to, to Rivendell, as Frodo discloses to him. Says Gildor, Quote, I do not think the road will prove too hard for your courage. Like, and obviously I'm adding tone to that. Mm-hmm. But it just seems, again, it seems like it connects to what Gandalf was saying in a previous chapter about, you know, many people don't understand a lot about hobbits and that though they can be childish, they can also be tough as old tree roots. And that a lot of the interaction Frodo is having in this chapter appears to be on the former, right? Where they're just expecting him to be kind of this silly child without a lot of metal um, or an adventurer's spirit. And so he's being a little condescending about this challenge that he's embarking on um, without particularly giving any additional helpful guidance. It's interesting that you say that. I had uh, a little bit earlier in their conversation after they've already met, but and then they're discussing with each other the events of the wider world, where it feels, again, sort of like the kids, the other hobbits, have gone off and are doing other things, and now it's time for the adults to speak, but Frodo is included in this. And I was reminded of the, f- the phrase, now you're speaking my language, because I I felt like in that conversation, Frodo was at least getting some information about what's happening because he does not have Gandalf to ask. And his friends who are bravely coming with him have almost no idea of what's happening. And it felt like there was a more of a meeting of the minds mm-hmm. in this chapter that I read than than you did. Yeah, I would I would agree with that reading. I think... 
I think that shift in tone is interesting. You know, is it a shift from Gildor in understanding this person to be perhaps not his equal, but someone who shares more experiences or more shared um, expectations for the world than, than the rest of the Hobbits? Um, but also thinking about the fact that these are high elves, I'm wondering, is this who Gildor is often in interactions, right? Like, is he, you know, a, like a statesman? And so this is kind of the persona that he adopts while having these conversations. It, uh, it was it was an interesting reading and, and perhaps an interesting contrast drawn to the very colloquial and familiar of the Hobbit interactions that we'd seen up until this point. Did you have other examples of the theme in this chapter that you want to share? My last example was um, from Sam. Um, So on my page 92, it says, quote, Sam could never describe in words nor picture clearly to himself what he felt or thought that night, though it remained in his memory as one of the chief events of his life. The nearest he ever got was to say, quote, Well, sir, if I could grow apples like that, I would call myself a gardener, but it was the singing that went to my heart, if you know what I mean. And I thought that was just such a a charming representation of Sam, where even when he doesn't have the exact language to communicate his experience, he approximates it with his own, and that makes it no less valid, the experience that he he had. So I, I liked that one in particular. He does this, the qualifier, if you know what I mean, a lot, and always after saying something very eloquently. Mm-hmm. And I try, I try not to do that in my life because I think I end a lot of things with, does that make sense? Or that I don't need to qualify the phrase with. Mm-hmm. And I see Sam doing that here because he, he describes how he feels very clearly and then goes, if you know, if you know what I mean. And I want him to... <laughs> feel confident in his speaking abilities and move past that. Yeah, I think that might be something to to watch the rest of the book and see does he continue to use that phrase or perhaps as he grows in his experience and in his comfort level with himself and with Frodo, does he continue to add that qualifier quite as much? I had one last example that I wanted to bring up on this theme. Uh, the second to last page of the chapter Gildor and Frodo have a little exchange with maxims from their own language, and Gildor's is, quote, do not meddle in the affairs of wizards, for they are subtle and quick to anger. And then Frodo's maxim is, go not to the elves for counsel, for they will say both no and yes. And I liked that they didn't have these in a shared language, um, probably because hobbits wouldn't have heard that phrase growing up because they don't know a lot of wizards. They really only know Gandalf. And elves probably wouldn't have had a phrase growing up that kind of, it's not a diss on how they live, but it's not flattering. Um, so that they, that the fact that they didn't have these shared phrases um, made me think of, you know, meeting somebody who grew up in a different country or just a different part of the country and they have a different phrase to describe something than I would. Um, and I always find those moments really charming and endearing. Yeah, I had that as one of my my notable quotes in particular, the the do not meddle in the affairs of wizards for they are subtle and quick to anger. Because um, I find myself perhaps living my life a bit like a wizard in that regard. <laughs> <laughs> so, subtle um, and quick to anger. Subtle and quick to anger. And I like that someone would be so gentle in describing me as to come up with this this phrase. <laughs> 
it's kind of how I would describe a cat. Like, they're not, they're subtle, they're not going to tell you how they're feeling, but then if you rub their belly for one second too long, we are in anger and it's a crisis. Mm-hmm. I thought Gildor also had a very interesting statement on my page 93 that says, quote, The wide world is all about you. You can fence yourselves in, but you cannot forever fence it out. And I thought that felt, it felt pertinent. I really liked that one. I highlighted that too. I loved that one. There's some, there's some truth knowledge dropped in this book (laughs) up until the end of chapter three so far. (laughs) The, uh, the high elves really know what they're saying, I guess. And Sam. And, and Bilbo, who Frodo quotes also to say, quote, he, he used often to say there was only one road and it was like a great river. Its springs were at every doorstep and every path was its tributary. It's a dangerous business, Frodo, going out your door, he used to say. You step into the road and if you don't keep your feet, there is no knowing where you might be swept off to. I liked that one quite a bit. Yeah, that's a good one. The pro- the prose in these books are is really excellent. Um and I I love attributing it not to the author but to these characters as though it was fact and not fiction because it it rounds them out so well to think of them all as little philosophers. Yeah, I think it makes it a bit more a bit more interesting and I think there's a really rich history woven for each of these which perhaps is done ad nauseum. <laughs> by by Tolkien in, in some respects, but that you get a real sense for the culture and the community from which these characters speak. So I just, I think that um, I would agree that it's so important that these, these characters are attributed to these statements, or rather that these characters um, are, receive sort of their due for these truth bombs that they're dropping. Well, thank you for that discussion, Anna. So let's go back and revisit our conversation with Felix to hear what action item he wants to offer to the listeners today. Felix? I would recommend listeners take some time to go and speak with some of their friends who uh, might be, uh, might may not be local. Uh, it doesn't have to be uh, complete foreigners. It can be people from the 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 state over or uh, the house next door. But I, I think it'd be great if we had more conversations about what makes us, the tiny things that make us feel like we belong. So go ask someone who's not from where you're from um, and, and, and ask them if they can share the small things that make them feel like they belong in uh, whatever place you are. And take a listen, you might learn a thing or two. Thank you, Felix, for that thoughtful action item and for being our first special guest on this podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to come and chat with us about community and, of course, about Lord of the Rings. Today's podcast was brought to you by Black Rider Nasal Spray. Clear up those stuffy, snuffly sinuses to better track down your Lord and Master. Our music is by Robert Zahn and Simon Dom. If you have thoughts on today's episode or homework assignment, send us a voicemail or email at infellowshippodcast at gmail.com. 
you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Remember to take care of your community, stay hydrated, and thank you for joining us today in fellowship. Oh man, I would totally listen to this podcast with Felix just discussing, I don't know. Welcome to our spin-off podcast where we talk about language and Felix's life up mm-hmm. until this point. That's right. Friend time with Felix. I'll workshop the name. We don't have to use that name. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we can we can work on it.